Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? Welcome to day question mark of our <laughs> of our uh, our podcast, our holiday podcast, Waypoints Holiday Extravaganza, our, our pantheon of incredibly good games, our year, our look back at a year both terrible and pretty good as far as video games go. <laughs> um, today we are going to talk about uh, the games that we all loved, but that maybe didn't make it onto uh, our, our anybody else's lists. Um, I think I think the reason I, I wanted to do this topic was that Rob, today you wrote uh, a piece about um, uh, the great racing games that came out this year, and that I don't think anyone else on this call has played. Um, I, you know, I, I maybe dip my toes here or there, but it seems like you've taken a, a, a bigger um, leap into the world of racing. And I thought that would be a good jumping off point to 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 maybe talk about other games where like, hey, the other people on this call maybe didn't play, but they're good. Yeah. Um as far as the the racing games uh piece goes, I think it's it's interesting that it, the game that made my list wasn't actually uh the racing games that I spent most of the piece writing about. Uh it was the racing management sim. Uh, that was probably my favorite racing uh, game of the year, and I'm talking about uh, Motorsport Manager, uh, which which I only got around to playing this year. It came out late last year, uh, and it is a sports management game about motorsports. <laughs> um, and I have a feeling that nobody else got around to playing this, and I have a feeling that I'm no. this is extremely my bullshit uh, <laughs> that that I'm 100 on, um, and. Just very weirdly, that ended up resonating more with me uh, this year than any of the actual like driving games uh, th- that I played. Um, as far as driving games go, it was an interesting like, with the exception of maybe this also being the the weird era of the immersive sim, which we were talking about uh, before the podcast. Uh, just getting the sudden deluge of this sort of niche yeah. genre. Uh, this was also a year where like a lot of major racing games came out all at once. Um, and they're all, I think two sort of people on the outside of the genre, outside of the genre. Uh, there's a lot of overlap between them or they all seem really similar, right? Like, you know, what's the difference really between a, between a Forza, between a project cars, uh, between a, a, a Gran Turismo, but there's actually a ton of like little nuanced differences between them. And I guess I sort of looked at this year as like with a little bit of dread uh, that when you have so many good things coming out all at once, these different expressions of the same idea end up kind of being forced into competition with each other. 
in a way that makes me personally a little bit uh, anxious about some of these franchises, right? Like, like Forza is going to be fine. It's a flagship. Uh, Project Cars, I, I do worry about a little bit, right? Like, what, what becomes of the uh, sort of really niche, uh, you know, take on the racing sim? Uh, in in a year that has you know the the major titans, the Gran Turismo and the Forzas hitting up at the same time. Is Project Cars uh, published by like Bandai Namco or is yeah. it like independent at all? Oh, okay, so like they're they're well, reliant it, on publisher stuff, or they do well, stuff independently, or look. So Project Cars has an interesting. <laughs> so originally it was crowdfunded. That's what uh, I thought. First, okay, yeah. The first game went on uh, like World of Mass Development or something. It was a crowdfunded yeah. racing game. Made by Slightly Mad Studios, who made the Need for Speed Shift games, which were fucking awesome. Uh, and they also worked on the Simbin Racing series uh, from some years back, which was another great series. So they make this crowdfund- they, they make this crowdfunding pitch. Uh, it succeeded, and uh, full disclosure, I backed it uh, to get access to Project Cars when it was like Project Cars One when it was like an alpha, uh, just to see what was going on there, and. Um, I think I ended up actually making a profit on that. Like wow, literally, really? they did. Literally, I got all my money back. <laughs> God, like, like wow. A year, like the year it came out, they gave me like forty dollars back, and then like I kept getting these like twenty dollar payments. That's uh, incredible, like, and wild. I, I we live in the age of fig, so it's not like it's it's not like it's uh, as rare of a thing as it was. But the 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 fact that they did that with that first game was so incredible and it felt so so strange because i don't think we'd had that part of the conversation around crowdfunding yet and also because it seemed like such an outsider game like project cars the first project cars i haven't played project cars 2 yet but like the first one was so focused on just hey we want to simulate driving in a way that is more approachable than like the highest level simulations, but like still very interested in just can you take, can you learn how to take this corner? Can you go into a race with a tuned car and not at all about like getting new cars or winning a campaign or any of that stuff? Um, and so it, it seemed like such a niche thing, and I'm glad it's found some success. Yeah, but what I I don't know if that means that they're still basically independent, right? Like right, I don't know right. if Bandai I don't know what the relationship with uh, Bandai Namco is at this right. point. Like they didn't crowdfund the second game, uh, so well, I have no they idea. Probably made money on that first one, right? So right, yeah, I don't know. Um, Did the first game come out at retail? Yeah, eventually oh, okay. it started on okay. PC, and then I think Sony picked it up. Uh, like I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't be shocked with the sequel if it was the, like it was more of a distribution PR deal. It's like yeah, hey, you get a cut of profits and you make all this like hard shit that a publisher is good at easier. Um, I don't know, but that, yeah, it's definitely yeah. possible. Yeah, and so it was, you know, it was just an odd year where you had all these uh, games sort of hitting up, and I expected one of them to sort of. Uh, sort of stand out for me and end up being like, you know, my racing game of the year. And that'd be the one I, the one I ended up talking about uh, on this podcast. And while I did enjoy a lot of these racing games, those were not the ones that I ended up getting really hooked on. Uh, the one I got really hooked on uh, finally released like in like, like last November uh, and it's motorsport manager uh, <laughs> from uh, Sega published by Sega. It's from a uh, play sport games. And it is, basically about like running a formula one racing team huh. uh which is extremely my shit like i love yeah. it one 
Uh, and the thing about F1 is that it's a hyper-political sport. It's an engineer's uh, racing sport. Like, the driver matters a great deal. But, like, it's really a contest of, like, engineering and, to a degree, project management. And I ended up sinking so much time into this game. Like, I was playing it for a three moves ahead subject uh, topic. We were talking about sports management games. And then I just kept playing it. <laughs> uh, because, so if you ever watch, like, a, a, an actual race... Uh, there's all those people on the pit wall, right, with the headsets, and they're, like, watching the telemetry coming off the cars, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're, like, making the strategy calls and all this stuff. Uh, you do that in this game. Huh. And so you are the person there, like, watching lap times, right? And you just get, like, you see a lap time dip, like, increase just a little bit. Like, it, the, the, your driver is just a little bit slower around, around the track that time. Does that mean that, like, the tires are well and truly shot? Or they just have a mediocre lap, and you can right. leave them out there a little bit longer. And that sounds so stressful to me because those are the sorts of calls that you're like, oh, I can't rush to make this call. But if I don't, and then you get that third uh, lower lap time in a row, fourth, fifth, and you're like, all right, yep. nope, got it. Has to, I, mm, I fucked up. I could have pulled them out three laps ago yep. and could have turned this whole thing around. And instead, I was too too conservative on this and just like. That stuff is is so brutal to me. Oh, but but when you get it right, because that because F one uh, does have a hierarchy. Like there are richer teams that have greater resources and use those to build better cars. Uh, and if you're a middling team uh, like the one I was sort of leading in my sort of fantasy season, uh, you, you have to be a little scrappy. Uh, you have to like you know bet on some suboptimal strategies and hope things break your way. And when they do. It feels so good. Like, you feel like you stole that race. Like, one of my favorite gaming moments this year was, um, so I was, it was this, it was this race where I had no shot in hell of winning. I'd had a bad qualifying and everything. But on the day of the race, there was a heavy rainstorm projected to arrive. And with the rules of the race, you actually have to drive on two different tire compounds. Uh, so if you start the race on a softer tire, you eventually have to like switch to a harder tire, which lasts longer but isn't as um, grippy on the racing surface. But if the weather comes in, if, the, if, if it starts to rain, that rule goes out the window because <laughs> theoretically everybody's going to have to change for uh, wet weather tires anyway. And so the rain was coming in, but it wasn't coming in fast enough. Like the, the chance of rain kept being like a little too low and like – I didn't want to bring my car in because if I did and then I switched on to a new tire and then it started to rain, then I was fucked. Uh, but in the meantime, like my guys are just getting rolled out there. Like they're on their, their tires are shot. Everyone has changed. Everyone is faster. I am struggling to stay in like the top 16 and then the heavens just open <laughs> and my, it, like they open just as, my lead driver is coming around toward the pit entrance. Immediately, he comes in, stops. We do a quick stop. He puts on the rain tires, races back out there. And, dude, it was like, you know, fox in a fox in a hen house. Like, goes out there, is just visibly faster on the track. Like, just one one overtake after another, just snapping up these other drivers who are basically now, like, trying to labor around the track uh, on slicks during, like, a downpour. Um, and like in the space of two laps basically goes from like 14th to first. Um, 
And like, that's how my team notched his first win. And it was all this, like, just like razor tension of like, you keep checking the weather forecast. Like, is it raining yet? Is it raining yet? You're watching the, you know, the, 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 the intervals in your lap times. And that's kind of what this game is all about. It's just that, you know, it's that, that managing that race day situation and like tracking all these different like dynamic variables. And then on some level, like there's a science to it, but then there's also just a lot of like, you know, gut check moments. Uh, and it's, it feels so good. That sounds really great. That sounds like, that's like one of those games there. If I, it feels like a thing that I would actually eat up in a mobile, maybe more, more streamlined version of it, because that sort of, I'm managing something while stuff is happening on the screen and, and deciding what, um, what big picture strategy to take, but not necessarily, I don't necessarily need to get behind the wheel is exactly what I actually want in a lot of my mobile experiences. And what I'm saying is if there is, a, if there's another F1 racing or, or a similar racing management game on, on mobile, someone should, should let me know outside of the Cairo soft one, which I think I played three years ago, which was also very good. It's a cute little game. That's a cute game. It's cute. It's not as good as the soccer, the Cairo soft soccer game, which if you haven't played, you should, uh, that game is fucking great. Does it feel different than just every other Kyrosoft game? Or are they all the same? I game? think that there's like three sub genres of Kyrosoft game at this point. What, what exactly is that? Because I'm not familiar with uh, Kyrosoft. Do you, know, do you know Game Dev Story? Yes. Okay, that's, sure do. that's made by a company called Kyrosoft. Oh, okay. K A I R O S O F T. And Kyrosoft does not just make Game Dev Story, they make. Any words you every, think. Every story. story. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Grand Prix story. Uh, Hot Springs story. Epic Astro story. Mega Mall story. Uh, and then some that don't have story, like uh, Dungeon Village and uh, Cafeteria and Neponica. Um, and like, there, there are like three subgenres of, of Kyrosoft story. One of them is like the development side one, which is the, or like the game dev story. There's also like a, a comic creation story one, something like that. Manga, manga artist story or something, uh, where it's like, okay, you're hiring staff to to people with, with unique traits who are good at making certain types of things and you're you know putting out fake games or comics or movies or whatever the second one is like about building a place whether that's like a mall food court or a city and that's all about like building adjacency bonuses like oh if you build the the you know the little fishing dock mm-hmm. next to the sushi shop you get a bonus um and the third one is tend to be like these sports management games where okay. it's about it's the same stuff it's adjacency bonuses and it's characters who have attributes but then they go towards like these comp, comp these competitive events and then it all it's like oh hey does your team work or does your car work win or whatever to do your rpg characters win the fight um i like them they're cute but these are not the things that are on my list this year so i shouldn't i shouldn't spend more radio time talking about them (laughs) Uh, more air time rather um the one that is on my list that i think is not on anybody else's list though and it's it's fairly high on my list is uh is heat signature um i don't think no one else has has dipped toes into this game really this year i've only seen it i've seen you play it it's a a game yeah it's a game that if i had played my guess is that it would have like, in some yeah. ways, I avoided it because, like, one, I don't have the time, and two, I bet I'd really like this game. It's like, uh-huh. I'm just going to have to punt it to, to next to year. To next year, yeah. So it is It is a game by uh, by Suspicious Developments, fantastic name always, uh, which is which is uh, the studio uh, created by former PC gamer uh, editor Tom Francis. 
um, uh, who also made, and people probably know, uh, uh, the developed the studio for Gunpoint. Ah, Gunpoint! Which Mm. is a fucking incredible game um, that came out years ago uh, that was kind of a cyberpunk, tech-noir, like, action puzzler uh, about breaking into buildings. And this is also a game about breaking into things. Heat Signature, though, is a game about breaking into spaceships. Um, The... (laughs) The way that works is you have a kind of a top-down view on space, on all of space, uh, and you're in a little kind of um, – it's almost like an escape pod that has its own its own power source and its own kind of ability to, to move through space and juke around enemy spacecraft. And you, you, you eventually find a, a, a place to dock and board these spaceships, and it's, it's a, again, completely top-down game. It looks something like um, uh, Hotline Miami. Or, um, you know, something like that. Again, completely top-down. And like Hotline Miami, the goal is to kind of move into these spaces, eliminate or avoid enemies. I mean, (laughs) Hotline Miami, you're not avoiding shit. You're killing (laughs) people. I guess Hotline Miami 2 had some stealth stuff, right? Um, But in in Heat Signature, the goal is like, okay, you get a mission because you're kind of a galactic fixer. Um, where okay, now you have to you have to break into this spaceship and steal the you know the penumbra device, which is just a weird space MacGuffin. And to do that, you know, you board on the side of a ship and you you go inside and you know you use your wrench to knock people out, or you use your uh, your teleportation devices to move around them, you know, without without getting into to trouble. You get the penumbra device, you get off the ship, and like that's the the very basic pitch. Um, and it's lots of procedural generation and it's lots of like interesting little systemic moving parts. And there is no way to pitch this game that communicates the way it generates stories in a way that is different than what I normally talk about when I talk about games generating stories, because I talk a lot about systems driven gameplay. I talk about, uh, games like Breath of the Wild and Far Cry 2 and even stuff like, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the immersive sims, Danielle, that, that I know, I suspect we might talk about in a moment. So I don't know, maybe Prey will, will end up on, on multiple people's lists. Wait, is that we'll on to... nobody else's list? So, <laughs> the... are you shitting me? Not at all. Um, <laughs> Rob! No, man, I've got you covered. Don't worry about it. Okay, okay, thank okay. you. I knew, as, I know. As Rob furiously edits his number 10. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no! Um, well, the- sorry, Motorsport Manager. Uh, late development. Uh, Motorsport Manager is actually a 2016 game anyway. It did come out late, but to hell with it. Uh, pray. We love Pray now. We're all Pray. Thank you. We're all Pray. Thank you. Um, unlike those games, which I intend to tell the story of a few minutes or even 30 seconds, the stories that I tell about Heat Signature are often, are often about what happens in the blink of an eye. Um, I You open the door and you think you have a plan. And then the beauty of Heat Signature is your plan is shit. Um, <laughs> you say something like, okay. The penumbra device is just behind that locked door. Between me and and that locked door, it's it's behind that locked door in the room that I'm in. All I have to do is open this door, go across this room, and steal this key from this guy who has the key to this door. Uh, He's looking the other way. This should be no problem. And as you start to approach, you remember suddenly that while this guy is just a regular guard looking at the at a wall, like looking at a, at a terminal or something, and you just take the key from him, there is someone on the other side of the wall that has a device that registers heat signatures, hence the name heat signature, um, <laughs> and that spots you 
approaching him. And that other person might also have maybe a teleportation device that lets them teleport over to you. And unfortunately, a thing, another thing you've forgotten is you've taken out a special contract for this mission that says you're not allowed to kill or hurt anybody. Uh, and so now this guy is zipped over to you. Or maybe, maybe it just says you can't kill them. So, so you can't use that special gun that you have that can shoot through armor. Uh, and instead, all you have is this wrench. And so now you have this blink of an eye moment where you pause the game because like, uh, like some of my favorite uh, strategy games or tactics games, the what 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 is at play is uh your planning and your ability to, to improvise not your um not just like your your moment to moment kind of skill not your 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 twitch action uh, and so you hit pause and you go okay how the fuck do i get out of this one you look at your items and you say okay there's i don't have anything that will knock this guy out but will uh, not kill him, or that will penetrate his armor without hurting him. And so you go, okay, well, what do I have? And you look through all like the five items you've brought with you, maybe something you've picked up here, and you say, like, okay, I have, uh, I could, I could teleport away and then use this item called a key cloner to quickly clone the key instead of stealing it and then run back to the door. Or I could swap the guy who has the, ar- I could shoot at the guy who do- who has the armor uh, to to distract him and then teleport and switch spots with him and steal from the other guy and the other guy who I've who I've swapped around will be confused won't know where I am and I can sneak away or I could use a glitch trap to teleport him somewhere else or I could use a stealth shield like there's so many options to figure out how to get away from that from that that whatever that trouble is and in that way it feels almost like it belongs in the same category uh, uh, as invisible ink it is not as high on my list or in my personal internal list as invisible ink is but it's similar in that the joy comes not only from what i think is some fantastic flavor and from the the wonderful like uh sci-fi world building that actually happens through some some conversations in this world uh, there's also all these different factions and they all have different uh, equipment that you can eventually uh take from them as you slowly colonize and take over their their territory because they're evil mega corporations and weird glitch like hackers um there's also just the there's also just this this there the core of it is that that feeling of getting in over your head and then having to dig yourself out um and that's a feeling that I've liked in a lot of games this year but you know maybe that's just the year it is I look at my list and I think about games like Battlegrounds and Zelda and Heat Signature and the thing that runs through all of those is um oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck how did we end up here oh fuck, how do I get out with my life? And I don't think any of them does it as well as Heat Signature because you end up just feeling brilliant. Um, and, and it's definitely a game worth playing uh, if in, in, in over the, the winter break or in 2018 if you can find the time. That is my pitch on Heat Signature. I want to play that game. It's really good. Also has the best names I've ever played in a, I've ever seen in a video game. <laughs> uh, and I take I take my names very 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 seriously. But if I just jump into Heat Signature right now, I fucking guarantee you, I will find some names that are like. Uh, it's all algorithm too, right? It's all procedural. I mean, like it's a, it's it's pulling from lists, right? Right. Uh, right but right. all the ships are also procedural, right? Uh, yeah. My the character names I just booted it up. Vega Polaris. Yeah. Uh, and Nico Albrecht. <laughs> Misty Delfi- Delphinus and Cestus Fluker. Great names. Oh, Fantastic <laughs> names. Way better uh, than Biggs Darklighter. Way better than... That's yeah. damn right. Mm. Fuck you, yeah. Biggs Darklighter. Uh, <laughs> and, and your brother, uh, Gavin, too. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's the one. And, and for me, like, it, it, I think that's the, the thing that I didn't expect from it would be <clears throat> that it would be a game that I could go back to um, and just kind of like 
do a quick mission or two or like the 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 way it's structured is that you can do um kind of building up a reputation meter that will eventually let you take over uh, an enemy space station basically and it's easy enough to be like, oh, I want to put 25 minutes aside tonight to take over another space station. I'll do like five or six missions and I'll take over that enemy space station. Uh, or usually like, I'll do five and six, five or six missions so that I can unlock the personal mission of this character I'm playing. Because it also just has a really cool structure where you play as these these kind of like special agents or whatever who all have their own goals. Who, you know, my my character's goal might be to save their their partner who has been kidnapped or get revenge for their father who was killed or or steal a specific you know weird space macguffin so that they can retire uh, and get out of the game for good um and along the way like the thing one of my favorite little moments there is when you do finish that personal mission you can retire them and you can uh, pass. You can choose one of their items that will go out into a pool of items that other players and that you can find in the future. So you can like say, like, okay, well, I use this. I use this one special uh, stealth shield that was able to recharge itself in the middle of a mission over and over with this character. I'm going to pass that one on. And it's not like you're. It's not like Rogue Legacy or something where you're literally giving an item down to somebody to another character. It just kind of goes out into space and another player or you will open a chest on a spaceship you know three days later and find it and be like oh fuck yeah this shield is sick uh and i love games that let you tell your own stories in that specific way so shout outs to heat signature uh one of my top 10 games of the year nice patrick and rob what do you what do y'all have uh, up your sleeves ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, pray is a game that I don't think is on anyone else's list. Uh-huh. You fuck up. Don't tease me like wow. that. Wow, just aggressive, aggressive. Uh so I um uh uh I'm going to ch- I slightly cheated uh with uh, the number my number 10 which I believe is not on anyone else's list. Um yeah. in which I picked uh both uh Doki Doki Literature Club and Dream Daddy. I presume neither of those games are on anyone else's list. The visual novel uh, number 10. The Patrick right Klepek uh, annual visual novel award. Uh-huh. The, uh-huh. the memorial. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was part of the reason I picked both was uh, both to cheat uh, and both they you mentioned. And uh, also because sort of like my interest in them were like part of what I liked about them uh, overlapped, uh, which is that. So I'm. I think like a lot of people like uh, uh, there are lots of fans of visual novels, but I think there are lots of people who look at certain parts of visual novels and get turned off by the genre sort of as a whole. Like when I would review games like Danganronpa uh, for Giant Bomb, like I'd get a bunch of shit from people when I would like make a sticking point to be like the fan service in these games like does a great disservice to what these games are doing well. Um, when I reviewed Nine Nine Nine, I think I brought up the the same thing, or at least when I wrote about it, um, in which. Uh, you know, by fan service, I mean, like, it's like, ah, like, there's no reason for these women to be busting out of their uh, clothes, um, and there's no reason for a panty shot to just, like, show up out of nowhere. Um, Because, like, both those games told, like, incredible stories uh, that uh, I think, absent those things, a lot of people would really enjoy. But I think a lot of people make assumptions about those types of games because they see 
those things and uh, end up just going like a lot. There's only so many games you can play. Like I don't need to play the game with the panty shots. <laughs> and so <laughs> part of what I really enjoyed about uh, so like Doki Doki Literature Club um, is a game that uh, and I'm not going to spoil like where it goes, but uh, opens for probably a little bit too long being a, a very stereotypical uh, sort of like romance based visual novel in which uh, a dorky uh, kid ends up in a literature club with just four really gorgeous uh, women that, of course, immediately uh, have crushes on him. And then <laughs> you get to you get to choose, like, which girl do you... Which amazingly beautiful girl are you going to get with? Um, and in that, it does, like, sort of very stereotypical things. Like, the, there's a moment uh, that I didn't get in my path, but where, like, you have to help one of the women who they constantly make jokes about how... Uh, she is uh, her her boobs are too big because she's wearing a push up bra because she wants to look cool around you and sexy like oh because of that like her her shirt kind of busts a little and you have to you have to like button the the shirt back up for her and uh-huh. shit like that but it is done in service like it is aware of like the tropes it is playing with all of that stuff is done in service to uh, upend your expectations later um, in which you think you're getting X and you end up getting why and then the way that characters are acting are subverted or uh, informed by unexpected things that happen later in the story um and that is both sort of like the horror elements that people have talked <clears throat> about in that game and that also just sort of the these sort of like uh story-based explanation like again i'm trying to kind of dance around it because i i think it's really important that the way the game deploys uh its story is really interesting and worthwhile and part of i think it's the way it works is because it, it is unexpected and the way it is presented. Um, but it, it was a game that I really, uh, other than some like really fun tricks it does towards the end, uh, the way it uses expectations against you is, uh, I thought was like just really tremendous. And even as someone that is only casually aware of the stereotypes of these types of games, I think anyone that is even just vaguely aware of how a visual novel is supposed to play out, um, even if that is from uninformed uh, stereotypes of what you think how those games play out it works on both on both levels mm-hmm. um and so that that's a huge part of why i found uh, that game to be uh, just tremendously well written and interesting um and dream daddy which is a game i played earlier this year if people aren't familiar with the the premise um it's you know you just happen you know so uh you just happen to move into a cul-de-sac full of extremely attractive men and you are interested in uh, getting uh, more socialized. That's kind of the premise of the game is that uh, it's not necessarily about a a romantic pursuit, um, although you're very easily able to kind of go down that route. Um, But uh, your your kid is going off to college and your whole life has been centered around your kid. And so suddenly you're faced with the prospect of like, oh shit, like what am I going to do when she goes away to school? Uh, I should probably start interacting with uh, the the outside world. And it's it's a game where... uh, it very could it very easily it's very funny it's very witty it's very smart it's very empathetic but it would be so easy to imagine a version of this game um in which it uses like uh the idea that is premised on a bunch of uh, gay men wanting to get with one another as like the butt of its jokes like it would uh-huh. use that as a way to both play within stereotypes and to um use those stereotypes as a uh, a form of humor and it, and it doesn't do that like I, I don't know if i've played a game with more heart than than Dream Daddy and 
it's it's one where as I as I wrote in my top ten list, I only played once. Um, even though the, right. a lot of the reason people play these games, uh, I don't know to make you know to presume why everyone plays, but like no, but... a lot of the appeal of these games is to play the different routes. Yeah, you want to see the like... different routes. You want to see the different the different endings. You want to see all the different characters interacting, and then like it isn't even just the endings. Actually, it can be like you, you get onto a, a route with a character who who you didn't go, you didn't see before. You thought like, oh, this person's just like a snarky asshole, and then you you do their route, and it's like, right. oh shit, actually, this person has a tragic past. That's why they're a snarky asshole. Right, right. <laughs> Um, and, uh, for me, uh, my, I, I, uh, quickly became enamored with Matt, the very cool and handsome owner of the coffee shop around the corner, oh. uh, from my house and was dead set. Like, this is not going to be a friendship. This is going to be something more. And at the end of the game, <laughs> he rejected that. Like, yeah. he used to wanted to be friends and like, it like broke my heart. And I was like, not in a fuck this. It was more just, I felt that was the canonical route. Like yeah. I didn't need to go see, like I looked up a couple other things because I thought it was kind of interesting, but like I felt so strongly uh, about how that route played out that I was like, that was enough. That like two uh, two and a half hours was enough for me. Like, um, and the fact that I was able to c- come to that conclusion, I thought spoke to how well the game was written. That in a game in which like they're explicitly designed for like multiple player views for you to see how things play out, I had such a strong reaction to the one way it played out that I said, that's fine. Like that is, that was my story and that's enough for me. And so I think between that and, and the way it treats a subject that could have otherwise been, uh, I think fumbled pretty easily. Um, uh, you know, I, the through line between the two was a, uh, sort of an earnestness and a subversion of expectations. And the fact that they both successfully avoid a lot of the, shitty traps mm-hmm. that I, I find uh, annoying and troublesome and limiting for an audience, uh, uh, for, for a large audience, neither of these games um, falls uh, falls into that. Or, it, right. or even when Doki Doki does, it does so with intent that is beyond just, like, well, in order to sell this, we need to pander to a certain audience that expects <laughs> these things to be in this game. So... Uh, yeah, those were the, the two that uh, I, I felt really strongly about. I, and that's why I, 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 that was my justification for, for getting them both in, in number 10. <laughs> I was like, oh, the through line is a justification. That's you fine. You have a topic you want to write about. That's, uh-huh. what, that's what this is, really. Yes. All right. I'm really dying to know about how the game with the girl busting out of her clothes uh, salvages that representation. <laughs> like, I'm real curious how it pulled the fat out of the well, fire it's a free, on that It's one. a free game, my understanding is, Rob, so you could figure yep. it out. You could go right now. Not right now. We have to finish these podcasts. <laughs> but afterwards. Afterwards, go play Doki Doki Literature Club. It might end up on his list then. It might and ruin this podcast. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> well, that's Sorry, why you have a backup, manager. right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it'll knock Prey off. <laughs> no! That's my whole strategy with this whole podcast. No! Just to make us all reconfigure our, our lists entirely? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Danielle, it's not Prey. What is the the game on your list that nobody else has? I have a few. I mean, I have another visual novel oh, well, yeah. as I, well. I a, but I, I, I think I picked... we all have a few. Yeah, yeah but, no, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, like, if you want a through line, Patrick, I think you should also play uh, Butterfly Soup and put that in 10 as well. <laughs> yeah, I've, 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 I've meant to play that game. That's about the soccer game. Uh, uh, baseball, players, right? but yeah, baseball, yeah. Baseball. I mean, you got you got the right general role. Uh, but the the pick that I'm going to go with uh, for uh, for this is also a sports thing, uh, which is kind of funny. 
So this is a game that I think, Austin, you played like a couple of years ago, but this is the 3DS version of it. It's Punch Club 3DS. It came out in January, which is, I I did not play this game previously. It is actually important that it was portable for my experience uh, in terms of this, actually, which is, which is interesting for a couple of reasons. But this came out, uh, the port of Punch Club, which is a, a sort of fighter sim. Uh, you are a boxer, really like an MMA fighter, even though they say boxer and they have a ring. There's a lot of mixed metaphors in this game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's totally okay. Whatever. You're like a MMA uh, fighter. You're very low level at, at the start. And it's playing off of a lot of tropes of 80s action martial arts movies. You know, your dad was some great fighter and then you're kind of following in his footsteps. And of course he was murdered and you got to, you know, figure out what happened to dad and, you know, climb the ranks as a fighter and become the greatest fighter of all time. And there were there was expansion content that was put into the 3DS port as well that has this kind of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles vibe to it. There's these underground fights, and they're actually alligators, I think. They're not, ti- they're not Ninja turtles. turtles, but it's yeah. pretty much the same thing. You have to fight mutant uh, alligators and sewers and do this sort of superhero stuff, which is really fun, too. So it's this very light-toned uh, management style game where you are managing your fighter. You need to make sure you're eating. You need to make sure you're doing, uh, especially at the beginning before you're sort of a, a big uh, pro headliner fighter, you have to be doing work so that you can afford food. Uh, and you have to balance that with training. And you're mm. always training three stats. It's agility, strength, and I believe endurance. Uh, and they all kind of correspond with a different animal. It's tiger, turtle, and bear, I think, are the, the sort of uh, the martial this, arts discipline. Does this track you... with your experience? Uh, absolutely, 100%. Were you, did you 100%. go to the tiger dojo to like, <laughs> up, your, up your agility? Oh, yeah. I mean, every day. I mean, the bear strength thing tracks pretty well, you know, and I guess the turtle yeah, endurance yeah. thing is kind of okay because, you know, turtling up, it, it we'll kind of up. tracks. Yeah. It, uh-huh. It's not a complete bullshit metaphor. It's just very. Wait, like, which. So what style is your preferred? Oh, I, I definitely went uh, agility with uh, okay. endurance as the sort of secondary uh, gotcha. specialization because that's that's how I try to do things in real life, too. Anyway, uh, this resonated with me a lot harder than I thought it would, especially because <sighs> it is, again, like a pretty light presentation. You're you're doing things like fighting Ninja Turtles and, you know, it's very, very cheesy, you know, mid-80s Van Damme martial arts movie right, style right. plot. Like, it's yeah. it's very light. And you even have, like, a Rocky-style romance with a girl next door. There's a whole, you know, there's a whole Adrian in there, too, which is, which is also cute. <laughs> um, but it really actually super super resonated with me uh partially because i started playing this game right when i started uh doing grappling again super seriously and so uh it was great that this was a portable game because i played it every night uh sort of on the subway home after grappling so i'd I'd go to my grappling class i you know we're taking it really really seriously training like four nights a week and uh get just getting back into it again after a while because I, I i have sort of a recurring wrist injury and it was finally better and i could finally do stuff again basically uh, so i was i was like really excited and and because even it has like thematic resonance i was super super excited to go train and then you know kind of work on my stats as i was like coming home and then i would come home be all sweaty and excited and like ah oh, look what i did i i worked on my real life stats today and also my fake stats in my video game that i can bring with me everywhere <laughs> Uh, and it was it was really cool to actually be able to bring that with me everywhere because it was it was a very almost meditative thing for me to be training as a person 
uh, in real life, I uh, I sort of obsess over the training aspect of martial arts and and you know, just sports in general. I'm actually much more interested in the preparation part than uh, often than the actual fighting part. I find right. it very very therapeutic to go and train and like put your mind in the dojo kind of thing put your body in the dojo your mind is in the dojo it's where i go in real life to kind of uh, just get away from work and personal life and any kind of stress and actually sort of work out uh you know your own uh, sort of issues and in a in a very real and tangible way uh so this game actually gave me like a secondary outlet to do that during like other moments like literally uh, coming down from doing it physically, yes. you could then do it again and process the, exactly. the feeling of the training again. In That's awesome. Yeah, it was really awesome. And it also, it, it hit me kind of where I lived in another way, uh, which is you get hurt pretty often in this game. And I sure am an injury prone athlete. <sighs> I always have been. And it's kind of been my downfall my entire life. Like right mm. now, it sucks. I have uh, I injured the same wrist again. So I can't be grappling right now. So I'm right. very annoyed. Uh, and it's very, very, very resonant in terms of stat decay as well. I wrote a, a short piece about this uh, back when I was playing the game uh, in January, February. Uh, but especially after a point, you know, when you're pretty early on in the game, stat decay isn't too, too intense. But especially once you get to higher and higher levels, uh, it becomes more and more difficult to sort of keep your stats up. You need to train all the time. You need to be spending all your time training. So those injuries, when you do have injuries, become even more just painful, almost physically painful in the game that you're playing. You're you're sad for your character. You're like, no, God, I can't take this much time off of training. I have 10 fights. Oh, my God. You know, like (laughs) I was getting like distraught over this. Almost, and and because it actually really like I'm I'm about to turn 34. I've always been an injury prone athlete and a competitive athlete, and holy Jesus shit, does that resonate <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in real life for me as well? So, you know, surprising uh, from a very light game that maybe didn't mean to be this resonant. Right. Maybe maybe <laughs> maybe I'm the only person in the world who had this reaction to Punch Club, uh, but I really really appreciate it. It's also a ridiculously fun little management game you're sort of on top of all the uh thematic stuff but mm-hmm. yeah punch club 3ds i i would have been very dishonest with myself if this were not on my list uh you know as we're going through the great games of 2017 you know sort of in the the you know air quotes there uh you know <laughs> trying to i'm trying to finish everything i'm trying to play everything i'm trying to get all this stuff in for my list and and really being honest with myself i was like no punch club really needs to be in there i loved this game this experience meant something to me i am putting it on my list so it uh, it is on my list awesome that's that is what our lists are for right like i, I yeah. feel like at the end of the year especially we often it can be hard to separate the larger conversation about 2017 about whatever year it is like i have to talk about games from from this year period full stop uh and i think part of that often comes from us wanting to highlight things that did have an impact this year like i know that uh i've spoken to people who say like well battlegrounds isn't my favorite game of the year but it had such a clear impact on gaming and blah 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 that i wanted to include it at a high spot and so and so i i think that there is part of that thinking that is is understandable but i also i also it's our lists god damn it like we decide what's on these lists yeah, yeah, exactly. Which what we played this year. So Patrick, you're allowed to have a two games on there as number ten. Danielle, you're allowed <laughs> to have a port from a game that came out two years ago. And Rob, you're you're allowed to have a racing a not a racing game that's not about racing cars from, from the November, wrong year. From the wrong year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm sure I have some bullshit on here too. I just I haven't well, figured it out better, yet. 
buckle up for when I finish Dead Space next year. Hell and yeah! Start passionately advocating. Game, game of the year in 2018, Dead Space One. Yeah. 2008, right? Is that exactly two uh, ten yeah. years after? Ten years later. Yeah. That yeah. Probably yeah. God, God. All right, I think that is going to do it for this episode. We will be back throughout the week for more of these. We're going to talk about other trends from that through the year, more of our favorite games, uh, and and you know maybe even we'll even talk about alien alloys at some at some point. Maybe that'll come up. We'll see. I'm Austin Walker. You can listen to me on Twitter talk about bullshit at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Patrick? Find me at Patrick Klopik. How about you, Danielle? At Danielle or I. And Rob. At Rob Zachney. Follow us, uh, all of us, and all the stuff that we do over at Twitter at twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypointvice, waypoint.vice.com. Uh, you can talk to us over on our forums at discourse.zone. And as always, thank you to Bowen for letting us use his track Miss You off the EP, Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Stay tuned for more of our deep dives into the games of 2017 and our bullshit conversations that go on for at least 20 <laughs> minutes longer than we expect them to what do we say danielle be good and be good at it peace This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.